0: Great to see you today at Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. And if you have a Bible, if you would turn it to Joshua chapter one. I'm gonna get there in a minute, Joshua chapter one. We're talking about obedience this weekend in this series, Heart for the House. I would like if you'd let me just to take a minute and speak to all the regular Life Church attenders. Um, about uh, just kind of where we are and some things that are going to happen. I want to continue to encourage those of you that are regular Life Church attenders to uh, keep on the journey of, of uh, the spiritual discipline of fasting that we've been talking about, uh, about praying, and about spending some time in the Word. And um, and just your da- the daily devos that we're giving you. If you're not receiving those daily devotions and you'd like to, you can just simply write on the backside of the communication card, uh, sign me up for the daily devos, and those will go right to you to your uh, email address, smartphone, whatever. And uh, and then uh, again, uh, just kind of keeping the in, in the whole the whole idea behind what we're doing as we walk through this series. Uh, the other thing I want to say is that. Um, as you leave today, you're going to receive a commitment card. that's going to look like this. Uh, it's got a front and a back to it. And on March the 24th to 25th, that weekend is going to be a commitment weekend uh, for the capital campaign for Heart for the House, for the building of the new auditorium and the, and the and the space at the Germantown campus. And I am giving you this this weekend, not because there's a commitment this weekend or next weekend. It's not until March it's the 24th and 25th. But I want you to take it. And familiarize yourself with it and begin to pray. Uh, I know that you are in process. Talk with your spouse. If you're, if you're married, if you're single, you can talk to yourself. Or I talk to myself all the time. I thank God for wireless technology. Nobody thinks I'm crazy anymore. But whatever you need to do to process through to do that and begin to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Not what can I do, but Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, let me say a couple of things. One, this is going to be a three-year commitment, 36 months. Uh, it's above and beyond your tithe. It's above and beyond missions. It's, it's, it's giving towards the, the, the construction of this new facility. So it's sacrificial giving. And uh, that's between you and the Lord. And, and the goal is is to raise $3 million, which is a lot of money. I, I know it's a lot of money. Uh, and it's going to take all of us hearing from the Lord, doing what He asked us to do, and sacrificing to, to, to do that. And my my desire is that everybody who's a regular tender at Life Church, whether you're on a fixed income or whether you have unlimited resources or anywhere in between, that you have the opportunity to be a part. That's why I want to give you the information now, and I've been con- continuing and communicating that information to you so that you know what's going on, so that you're not caught off guard or stressed out by that. Um, and heart for the house, as far as the church is concerned, as a series, it's really about how what God's doing in your life. For, the, for life church, it's really about this new facility. It's this, what we're doing because as we create more seats, God provides us souls. And it's, it's given that opportunity for God to, to do that in our midst. And, uh, and, and I know that many of you, that's a, that's a base motivation of why you're doing what you're doing because you want to see God to reach other people. You've been blessed by this church. You want to see that happen. But I also know, too, that there's some other things. Maybe you've got kids or grandkids and you see that play space for early childhood and you go, wow, that's for my kids, that's where my grandkids are going to be. And uh, nothing wrong with that. It's going to be pretty, pretty cool to see that, for, especially for young families that, that are coming here to Life Church. Some of you, uh, you know, you're thinking about the, the student center. Maybe you're a student yourself, or maybe you have kids or grandkids that are in elementary, junior high, senior high. What we're going to be doing in the, the present auditorium building is going to be pretty incredible. And the reason we do it is because kids are social before they're spiritual. And so it gives an opportunity there for people to be able to, uh, kids be able to come in and to have a place to hang out and a place to be able to kind of interact. And it's going to take what we're doing currently in the student center to a whole nother level. We're looking at uh, full arcade video games, billiards, uh, rock climbing wall. I mean, all of that kind of stuff that's going to be happening. Yeah. Your kids are driving you up a wall and you can drive them up a wall. Uh, I mean, we're going to be doing just some kind of some fun stuff. It's going to be everything that's going to be here in this auditorium for the the weekend messages for our elementary students and then for midweek for junior high and high school. That's a motivating thing. Another thing is is, is the ability that, you know, some of you, you invite friends or you want to invite friends and you just, this quaint Bavarian uh, elevation that we have here, the chalet, you're thinking, man, once we get into that that new facility, it's really going to just, it's going to kind of define in a way and be able to invite people. That's going to be awesome. Some of you ladies may be totally just, Geeked out about the bathrooms. I don't know. I've heard great, great, great things about, oh, we've got individual stalls. And so, whatever it is, some of you, it's the auditorium. It's like, man, great. There's not going to be a center pole. There's going to be more seats. And and for some of you, that's probably going to be a place where your kids will get married. And so, whatever the reason is, as we walk this out and we build this out, we're doing it to minister to you, to serve the seeker, and to build the believer. And it's going to take all of us. And I'm asking you as a pastor. I don't do this very often, but I'm asking you as a pastor just to take this commitment card when you leave today, to pray over it, to process over it. Simply ask God what he wants you to do. You don't answer anything to me. This is between you and him. And, uh, and I believe when we do that, it's going to all come together. And I know people are saying, man, $3, $3 million, even over three years, that's a, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of money above and beyond tithe and missions. It is. And the reality is, is that we're gonna have one to two lead gifts of a quarter million to half million dollars in order for that to happen. That's somebody giving two hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand dollars over a three-year period. That's gonna mean ten to twelve people giving hundred thousand dollars over the next three years. It's a lot of money. People giving 75, 55, 35, 5, 3, 10, 15, dozen, dollars all in between over the next three years saying, This is what I feel like God wants me to do. All I ask is that you just say, God, what do you want me to do? And I want to, as a lead pastor, to give you the opportunity to be able to process that, to pray about that all over the next three years. And, um, and so that on the 24th and the 25th, we're all ready as a congregation to make a commitment based on what God will have us to do individually. And I can tell you, for Tammy and I, uh, that, that amount has gone up since we've been praying and processing. Sometimes I don't want to pray anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Because I, yeah, uh, <laughs> right? And, uh, and it's the biggest commitment we've ever made. And, uh, and actually, in order to prepare for that, I mean, there's just some, some things that we're doing uh, personally and, uh, and some things that we're adjusting financially in order to see that happen. And so, whatever that means for you, that's between you and the Lord, but I just want to, as a, uh, as a pastor, just to kind of lead you and give you the, the amount of time and the space that you need. So when you leave that, you're going to be receiving a commitment card. You'll get one again next weekend, and then, and then two weekends from this weekend, we'll be committing together as a congregation. Um, and so... In this Heart for the House series, we've been talking about week one, we talked about vision, that God has a picture of a preferable future for you, for this church, for us as individuals and corporately. That that vision is always activated through a life that's surrendered. When we just say to God, God, whatever you want, here I am. And last weekend we talked about hearing God's voice, that God is speaking. Are you listening? Do you hear? Today I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the power of obedience. The power of obedience. Because sometimes there's a chasm between hearing God and obeying God. Between hearing the voice of God and doing what He asks. Obedience is in the process of surrendering and listening and then acting. Obedience is in the process of surrendering and listening and and, and acting. Uh, I want you to think about this for a second. The first week we talked about vision. The second week we talked about surrender. The last week we talked about hearing the voice of God. This week we're talking about obeying the voice of God. All of these are processes. All of these are a process of thing. None of these are events really in and of themselves. It's really a process to go, God, what's your vision for my life? And you begin to pursue that. It's a process to say, Lord, I surrender. Because surrender is not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's a process for me to, to quiet my world down and listen to the voice of God. He's speaking. Am I listening? And it's a process for me to obey and it's like anything, it, it, this is a crock pot thing, not 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 a microwave thing. You know, the, the things of God are not something that's fast and, and, and easy. It's, it's because, quite frankly, nobody really gets all geeked out about microwave food. I don't know about you. I, I don't. And I, I'm a gut brother. And so it's a deal of, you know, I like stuff that's slow cooked, whether it's ribs or a pot of beans. I mean, I like something to take a little time. Let it simmer. Let it sit there. Let all the juices come together. Let the meat be aged before you put it on the grill. Come on, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And, and you know, and this week I had an opportunity. My dad turned 66, and so I went, um, I went to, I flew to Memphis, and they live just outside of Memphis, Tennessee. And so I went there. Surprised my dad. My mom picked me up at the airport. And to my surprise, when I got to the house, my mother had, those of you that are like home cooking and anybody from the south, you'll catch this. My mom had skillet fried cornbread. And ooh, wow! And my mother had had uh, fresh fresh greens uh, like collards. My mother had um, 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 uh, fried pork chops. Everything in the South is fried. And my mother had had these beans that had been cooking all day long, which meant it had ham hock in there. Hallelujah! And it was marinating with all those special size spices and juices. And when I came in the door with some iced tea and homemade apple, uh, peach cobbler—excuse me, homemade peach cobbler. Hallelujah. Now my mother could have said, you know what, Aaron's here, let's just throw something in the microwave. No, she didn't say that. She said, Oh, the sun has come home. Let's prepare the feast. And I said, Yes, Lord. And I took that cornbread and I sopped up that juice of that beans. Somebody need to Google, sopped up. What does that mean? And I just, man, I just it's good. And you don't get a meal like that fast. You don't get a meal like that quick. It took all day long for those beans to be cooked just right. Same thing with the things of God. When you are processing through the vision of God, through the surrender of God, the voice of God, and obedience of God, it's not a microwave thing. We don't serve a microwave God, it's a process. And sometimes it takes a little longer. And sometimes it's a little more tedious. And sometimes it, it seems like we're going over the river and through the woods. But we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And we lean not to our own understanding. Why? Because He's taking us on a journey. He's taking us on a process. And many times a journey is much more important than the destination. And we don't realize that until we have walked through it. We don't, we don't value that until we've gone through it. But the reality is, is that God is not a fast food fast, microwave God, but He's a process God. See, obedience, without obedience, Christianity is just a theory. Without obedience, God's kingdom never comes. Without obedience, we never see the power of God happen. Obedience becomes the key to our faith becoming life, to our faith becoming alive. Have you ever been in a situation where you as a Christ follower, you're at a restaurant... Uh, you're somewhere. It's a public place. And all of a sudden, you're just mind your own business. And all of a sudden, someone, something catches your eye. And all, and you begin to go and, and you sense something in you that you need to meet and eat. Maybe you're sitting there and you're having your, your sandwich and, and, and you're, you're grabbing some some lunch. And, and you see a, a, a single lady walk in with three kids. And they don't look like they've been very bathed much. And the car looks broken down. And there's something that says to you, it's the Spirit of the Lord. But at that moment in time, you don't feel like, ah. Oh, it's just like, you know, it's just one of those deals where I need to buy them lunch. Or maybe it's a lady that's waiting on your table. And you just sense, I need to leave an extra 20 for the tip. Or maybe you're, you're, you're going and you see someone that's broken down in the corner and they're crying. And you go, man, you know, I, I just feel like I need to walk over and say, are you okay? Can I help you? Can I pray with you? And in that moment, in that instance, when that thought comes through, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last weekend, that God speaks through His Word. He speaks through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to your heart. And in that moment, you have a choice. Are you going to obey or are you going to disobey? Are you going to listen to the voice and lead you to the Lord or are you not? And it's very quick. And what happens many times in that is that we're not careful. We just kind of, well, we, we, come, we come back to it later or we just don't do it at all. You ever been there? I mean, it was a couple months ago, and I had seen a special on displaced homeless people that were middle-class Americans living in Central Florida. And, uh, and I saw it, and it kind of resonated with me. I thought, this is kind of interesting, and this is really wild. This is happening in America, and this and that is going on, and everything else. And so I it, would it, it, seen it, and then I was there in Central Florida with some other pastors, and we were at a conference, and we were going to eat dinner. And we'd finished eating dinner, and again, I travel a lot, so I'm used to being like in cities and in places where people will, whether it's an emerging third world culture or whether it's it's a it's a city, uh, you know. And and I'm on my way someplace, and someone's coming up and they're asking you, panhandling, begging, whatever, and you know they're just going to take the money and buy drugs or buy. Alcohol or whatever perpetuate whatever lifestyle that's going on, and you just don't make eye contact, just keep walking. Whatever I mean, I give to organizations, we support organizations that in a healthy manner, helps that. But you know, this was different. I we were getting in the car, and this gentleman walked up, he's a middle aged guy, kind of a bigger guy, and just said, Hey, I don't mean to bother you, but. My family, and he pointed to his family that's over here. We're from, he told us the state, told us the place, and he said, "The bottom line is, I'm just trying to get enough money together tonight to be able to get a hotel room for the night. I've lost my job, I've lost everything." Da da, 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 da. My mind immediately went back to that that thing that that uh, news story that I had seen, and there was something inside of me that says, "You need to meet that need. You you need to meet that need." The book of James says if you see someone that's in trouble and you see someone that's hurting and you say, hey brother, be well fed and be warm and you don't do anything about it, your, word, your faith is dead because faith without works is dead. We're not, we're not saved by our works, but once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's our works that declare that we are Christ followers and that God's in us and that, he is in, and, and that we're in Him and, and we're to do something when we see someone in need. And I just sense like this is a legitimate need. But then what I did, I just kind of, well, maybe that's just me. That's kind of crazy. I'm with two other pastors. Are they doing anything? They're not doing anything. And, and that kind of a deal. And it would be a bit of an inconvenience. so just don't worry about it. And so we just got in the car. And we left. And we had gone maybe a mile down the road. And I said, guys, did you think anything about that guy? Not really. Uh, did you think anything about No. I, I said, listen, I, I can't do this. We got to turn around go back i got to do something. i, I got to meet, meet that need. I just, this is just me, but I've got to do this. We turned the car around, went back. I mean, it hadn't been more than five minutes we'd been gone. He's nowhere to be found. His family's nowhere to be found. Nobody's there. And in that moment, you wonder, well, was that a test of the Lord? Because God tests us. He doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. Was that someone that was there? What happened? You ever felt like that? Uh, the reality is, is I felt horrible. I felt like, man, I'm a pastor. I mean, I preach this stuff. I mean, even as I'm telling you this, that story now, I feel ashamed. I mean, I went back to my hotel room. It was like a somber night for me. And I just got on my knees and said, God, make sure my heart is sensitive towards your moving of the Holy Spirit and, and not, to, not to disobey. And, and the reality is, I think in the life of a Christ follower, that happens. Whether God speaks to you about going across the room and meeting a need, whether He speaks to you about giving to a missionary, whether He speaks to you about being a part of something, whether He speaks to you about taking in that latchkey kid that's at the end of the street that you know the parents don't get home till six o'clock, and, and the kid's going to tell you house up, but, but needs some love and some care and you're there, whatever it is. See, disobedience comes in a couple of ways. One is direct disobedience. Where God says, I want you to do A, and you go, I'm not doing A, I'm going to do B. It's just direct disobedience. I'm not going to do it. Now, very rarely do we ever say, God, I'm not going to do that. So the second way that disobedience comes is through delayed obedience. Delayed obedience. And delayed obedience is disobedience. It's just what we wind up doing is is that we, we, we do exactly what I did. You don't meet the need in the moment. And then when you come back around five minutes later, the need's gone. And then you feel about that big. And it's like the Holy Spirit just says, I told you, McFly. I told you what to do. Are you home? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? Maybe God didn't talk to you like that. He talks to me like that. See, delayed, delayed obedience is, is, um, is, is, is a deal where you, you wait to respond. You know what God's saying to you, but you just wait. And in those few minutes, it makes all the difference in the world because you miss the opportunity. Delayed obedience is is where you question, God, do you really want me to do that? God, is is that really what I'm supposed to do? Is that me? Was that you? I don't really know. I'm I'm not sure. And can I just help you with that? Listen, if you ever feel like you're supposed to do something good for someone else, that's not the enemy of your soul telling you to do that. He He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour If you're ever sitting there and you see someone that's in need and you feel like you need to buy a meal for them or help them, or you see a single mom and a broken down car and you feel like you're supposed to be the one to to meet the need, you see a need, that's not not the voice of the devil telling you, help that person. Right? And you go, well, but what about the time that I'm sitting there and God tells me I should write a a check for a missionary? Do you actually think the devil's going to fund missions? No, he's not. That's God. But we question it. Is that a bad burrito? I need some Toms, honey. Uh, well, what is that? Uh, d- delayed obedience is compromise. Where we say, hey, God, i tell you what. I'm going to substitute. I won't do that, but I'll do this. God, I won't admit witness to that person because I don't know them. I don't want to be embarrassed. But you know what? I'll go, I'll go tell my, my, my brother about you who you've been telling me I should tell him about Christ. I'll go do that because I've got a little bit more of a safer relationship. Lord, I, I won't meet that need, but I'll meet this deed. God didn't call you to meet that need. He called you to meet this need. See, God asks us to obey his word and his voice quickly and quietly and completely. Quickly, don't wait around. Quietly, not with, with, quietly obeying him without questioning. And completely following through with what he asks us to do. So why do we wait? Why do we question? Why do we compromise? Are we bad people? I don't think so. Are we horrible? I don't think so. Are we the only people that's ever done this? No, the Bible is littered with people that do this. But why do we? Because we respond in fear instead of faith. We respond in fear instead of faith. Well, what will we be fearful of? Well, there are four fears that tempt us to disobey one is fear of failure, the fear of failure. What happens if I try this and I fail? What happens if I walk across the room and I try to help someone and they blow up at me? What happens if I do this and, and I write the last $100 out of my checking account and I give it to the missionary and I don't have money for gas? What happens if I get out there and I fail? And I, I, I can get it. I understand some people go, you know, I mean, Aaron, you know, you, sometimes you go, man, who am I that God would speak to me? I mean, I'm not perfect. I mean, here you are talking about how you felt so convicted about not helping some guy, and you prayed that night. I mean, if you knew what was going through my mind right now, if you knew what I did yesterday, if you know what I'm planning to do tonight or tomorrow or next week, if you knew, how in the world would God speak to me? Why would he speak to me? It's fear of failure. Another fear that tempts us to disobey God is the fear of success. I know that sounds crazy, but the fear of success. What happens if God puts his super onto my natural? Are things going to get weird in my life? Are people going to look at me as weird? I mean, I already have to explain that I'm not going to the church that I was raised in, and we do things a little bit differently. I mean, am I going to have to really explain this? I mean, I talk to business people who say, man, I'm already trying to explain to my accountant as I reconcile my taxes for my business or personal, and they tell me how crazy I am for giving away this amount of money to my church or to missions or to whatever that God's put in your heart. I mean, is it going to just keep getting weird? What's going to happen? Fear of of man. Fear of man. I mean, so many times we do and don't do things because of peer pressure. I used to think peer pressure only existed in junior high and high school. Contrary mo frere. It is alive and well amongst adults. We do and don't do because what are people going to think? How are people going to view us? What happens if I do this or if I do that? Or what if I say this or I say that? How are they going to do? When the Bible teaches us we should live for the audience of one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew chapter, five, chapter 6 verse 33. Then all these things should be added unto me. What? We just get scared. We get fearful of what man would say. And then the last thing is fear of the future. I mean, what does this mean for the future? If I do this today, what's God going to ask me to do next? I mean, am I going to wind up in some, some tent in the Sudan being a missionary? I mean, if I go on a mission trip, I know, I've talked to people. I mean, if I go on a missions trip... I mean, is all of a sudden God going to call me to be a missionary? I don't know that I want to be a missionary. I don't want to be in a third world nation. I don't know I want to be in an emerging culture. I don't even want to be in a, in, in, in a first world country outside the United States. I mean, what's God going to ask me? Where does this lead? What happens with this? And, I, and all of you that are type A in the room, I mean, I get this. I mean, I, I plan my day. I mean, I, I know where I'm going to eat lunch tomorrow. I have to have a full bore planning. For me, vacation is there's... We don't know what we're going to eat tomorrow. I mean, that, that's plan, you know. It's just a deal of, if we're not careful, we fall victim to these failures, to these fears. Have you, ever, have you ever had your faith be overtaken by fear? And I have. It's embarrassing. And you know it, and the Lord knows it. But we allow it. And I just want to say this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And it's just the same as direct disobedience. We may not intend for it to be, but remember, our direction, not our intention, determines our destination. Not what I intend, but what I do will determine where I wind up. So, how do I then walk in obedience? That's why I want to spend the last few minutes of our time today Talking about this. How do I walk in obedience? I'm going to look at the life of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is facing one of the most scary, one of the scariest times of his life. Because what's happened is Joshua has been this protege, this understudy of Moses. Now you have to understand, Moses, was, Moses would have been the Messiah except he blew it in the wilderness. He, he, lost, his, he lost his temper. And uh, it's what cost him to go to the promised land. And it's also, if you talk to the Jews, it's what taught, cost him... Their, his ability to basically be the Messiah, to be the Redeemer. And um, what's happened at this point is Moses has died. And God told Moses, because he lost it in the wilderness, that he would see the promised land, but he would not inhabit the promised land. But God would use Joshua and the children of Israel to go into the promised land. And so what we, what we know is, is that the promised land was promised to Abraham. And so this has been going on for all these generations, and they've lived under slavery, and they leave Egypt. And for 40 years, if you look at a map, they've literally been walking in one giant circle. And the reason why is because 40 days into their trek, away from slavery and away from bondage, God gave them the opportunity to go and possess the Promised Land. And here's the deal about the Promised Land. The Promised Land did two things. Number one, for the nation of Israel, it made them no longer be a nomadic people, but it allowed them to establish themselves, okay, as a nation, not a roving, moving people, not a people that were that were overlorded by somebody else, but it established them as a nation. Second thing that it did for all twelve tribes, except—I mean, excuse me—for all eleven tribes, not the twelve, not the tribe of Levi. The Levi tribe was the, the tribe of Levi was the ministers they were the priests they were not allowed to inherit any land because God was to be their inheritance and the other 11 tribes were to take care of that one tribe it's actually where we get the whole ideology behind um, uh, the, the, the giving to the temple is actually what takes care of the pastor or the ministers. That's where that comes from. And so they were no longer, they weren't able to take, have ownership of, of the promised land, but they were to take care of the other 11. But every one of the, everybody else in the other 11 tribes were going to have their own personal share of land homesteading They were going to be able to have their own property, build their own home, establish their own life. And so this was what was in their mind. And so they were walking in this direction, 40 days away from Egypt and from bondage. They're walking. At this time, Joshua was a young guy, and he, along with several other guys, are sent into this promised land and asked to spy and check out the land and bring back a report. When they bring back a report, Joshua and Caleb... Say, man, this is an awesome land. It's got incredible things. It's got all kinds of opportunities. I'm telling you, it's where we need to go. And these guys were full of vision and full of passion. And they believed God and they took him at his word. The other spies said, there's no way. We are so small compared to the people in that land. They're so much more developed. They've got so much more going on. And they allowed fear to keep them. And so God said, I can't deal with these people. God never uses or operates in fear. He always uses and operates in faith. And so God says, here's what's going to happen. This generation will walk around in a giant circle in the wilderness until they all die off. God's so, so compassionate, isn't he? And so until they all die off, because God wants to make sure that the people that are going get it and they're a part of it. And when they're done, then here's what's going to happen. Then I'm going to take this younger generation and they will raise up Joshua and Caleb and they will go and inhabit the land. So why this is going on that's when Moses loses his cool and God says Moses you lost it you didn't trust me you got mad you got frustrated and you didn't trust me in this area and so it jeopardized your ability to go take the promise then I will keep my word but it will happen through Joshua not through you. So Joshua chapter 1 Moses is dead. And here Joshua, this understudy, who's never led, he's never been the CEO, he's never been the the, the, the captain of the ship, he's never led the people directly. His only time in front of the people has been as an understudy to Moses, or the one time that he said, we can do it, and they all said, no, 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 you're crazy. You're just an idealistic young kid full of vim and vigor and passion. You need to sit down and shut up. There's no way we can do that. Now those people are dead and gone. And Joshua was there, and it's his time to lead. It's his time to step out. It's his time to fill those shoes. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun. Moses' assistant. Verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Arise. Go over the Jordan. That was the river that separated them from the wilderness to the promised land. And you and all these people, all these millions of Jews, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Joshua had a choice to make. He had this choice. Am I going to obey God or am I not? Am I going to cower in this moment, or am I going to lead in this moment? Am I going to step up to the plate and do this, or am I just going to shrink down? I've never done this before, God. I've never led this before. God, maybe we need a couple of committees. God, maybe I need to you know, get a couple of feelers going out there. God, maybe I need to get a couple of small wins under my belt. I need to do some highly visible, non-controversial projects so that I can, can fill the emotional bank account of my leadership with some change. Maybe I need to do a few things, and God says, No, Moses is dead. You're the leader. Let's go but God, we've been trying to do this for 40 years. We've been trying to get this for 40 years. God, no, 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 no. That's not what he does. Joshua says, okay. Okay. Because our obedience or our disobedience doesn't only affect us, it affects those who come behind us. It affects our kids and our grandkids. And just like with this church, with what we're doing, what we do on, on March the 24th and 25th, it's between the Lord. But the reality of it, what we do, it doesn't just affect us. It affects the people that will come to hear Christ. It will affect our kids. It will affect our grandkids. It's something that's bigger than us. And Joshua's sitting here going, I have to trust the Lord. I've got to walk in this. I've got to do this. And so that's exactly what he does. And Joshua does three things. There's three steps in walking in obedience I want to give you as, as, as I, as I kind of wrap things up. One is you got to believe that God is for you. If you're going to walk in obedience, this is exactly what, uh, what Joshua did, if you're going to walk in obedience, you got to believe that God is for you. Your view of God will color your walk with God. Your view of who God is will color your walk with God. If you think that God is some cosmic killjoy that wants you to have no fun in life, it will color how you walk with God. If you think that God is there to, just to take your head and sever it from your neck, and He is waiting just to judge you, it will color your walk with God. If you think that God is, 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 is just trying to, to keep you and trying to prevent you and just trying to put his rules on you, it will color your walk with him. But if you believe that God is for you, if you believe that God is on your side, if you believe that you're his and he is, he, he is yours, if you believe that, that, that God is yours, if you believe who the Bible says that God is, it will color your walk. It will color how you do. It will color what, what, what you say if you believe God is for you. Matthew chapter seven eleven says this. If then, being evil, talking to us, knowing how to give good gifts to our own earthly children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If then we shall say to these things, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Look at that word you. Put your own name in there. I know the thoughts that I think toward Aaron. I know the thoughts that I think towards Tim. I know the thoughts that I think towards Sharon. I know the thoughts that I think towards Rick. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you, to give Aaron, to give Rick to give Bob, to give Sally, to give Susie a future and a hope. How you view God colors how you walk with God. And if you believe that God is against you, you will sit your entire life and try to prove that and never accomplish anything. But if you take the Bible and you believe that God is for you, you believe you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You believe that, that the Bible is the infallible, inspired, and errant word of God. That God is on your side. That when you walk into that classroom, when you walk into that office, when you walk into that new position. When you follow the leader who has died, Moses. And you stand on the river's edge. And the people go, how are we going to get across? I don't know. How, what are we going to do when we get over there? I'm not really sure. What about the inhabitants of the land? I'm not, I don't know. But what I do know is, is that today is a day that we're to possess the land. And I I know that God is for us. Who can be against us? It's not by our might, not by our power, but it's by his spirit, says the Lord. We're gonna move forward and God and we're gonna trust him with all of our heart. We're not gonna to lean to our own understanding, we're not gonna to look to the left or to the right, we're gonna to look to heaven above, from which comes our strength, our help comes from the Lord. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he'll be with us because his rod and his staff will comfort us, and he'll be with us all the days of our life. And we're gonna walk this thing out. That's what he does. That's what you and I have to do. When God tells us to do something, you have a choice. God is telling you, how do you view God? If God's always wanting you to mess up, then every time you step out, there you go. He's just wanting me to mess up. But if you view that God is a a good father who wants to bless you and help you, then you realize that the lions in life are not there to devour you. They're opportunities for him to show his grace and his mercy and his power. You realize that the rivers of life that most people don't ever get across are there for you to cross and walk on dry land. Because if you read on the rest of the book, you realize that when Joshua, when the the men of God carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when they put their feet in the water, then the waters begin to part. Not before their feet touches the water does it it part, but at that point it begins to part. And then the children of Israel walk, walk, walk across. God has it all planned out. The first city that they, inha- and that, they, that they encounter is Jericho. The walls of Jericho were tightly shut up. No one went in, no one went out. They did chariot races on, on the walls of Jericho. That's how wide and how fortified they were. And God said, here's my plan. I want you to walk around the city seven days. And on the seventh day at one time. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times. And on the last time, I want you to shout because I've given you the city. And the Bible says that they did exactly what God told them to do. And the walls came tumbling down. How do you view God? I'm just telling you, I have a view of God that God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all I can think or ask. And I got a pretty big imagination. I'm a type A, pretty ambitious, pretty gregarious individual. If I told you what's in my heart to do, maybe in this room we'd go, you are nuts. We've already established that. But I just happen to believe that God can do it. I believe there's nothing impossible for God. Do you? I believe when he speaks to us, if we'll just obey, it's never to harm us, it's to bless us. It's never to keep us, it's to propel us forward. Second thing he did is, don't believe a negative report. Don't believe a negative report. He learned that a long time ago. You can't listen to the spies who says it can't happen. You can't listen to the people. There'll always be critics. And remember, they've never built a statue for critics, only for people who've been criticized. There's never been a statue built for critics, only for people that have been, criti- only for people that have been criti- criticized. Often the first thing that you hear when you, when you take a stand for God is opposition. The first thing that you feel is opposition. The first thing that tries to attack you is fear. Sit down. Shut up. Go along with the crowd. Don't do this. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Who, what, what's going on? And, and the reality is when you're doing what God's asked you to do, you cannot listen to the negative reports. You just have to walk it out. Because it's, it's that moment of, of opposition that you feel. It's that make or break time where you show up or you sit down, where where, where, where God shows up or where nothing happens. But you have to stand there and believe. And I'm, I don't know how to explain this except for this. I mean, I remember when I got here to Germantown, and I remember over at Briscoe County on County Line at forty five, I met a pastor for lunch. I'd been here very short. I mean, weeks, maybe a couple months. And I sat down, and we met. We had a mutual friend. We met, talked for a few minutes, and and finally he began to say, "What, what what is it that God's put in your heart, me? Why are you here? Why'd you move from Oklahoma to here? What's going on?" Da 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 da. da. You mean you don't talk like we talk, and you don't do what we do, and you know all this. And so he just is kind of going at me a little bit, and uh, I just tell him, "This is what God's put in my heart to do. This has been in my heart for years, and this is where God told me to do it. I don't know what else to say. I know it doesn't make make sense." And I know there's some things that I can't compute, and I know I'm not from here, and I don't talk like people that are from here, and I, and I know that, you know, but this is it. This is all I know to do. And this, this individual, this fellow pastor, begins to tell me of how stupid this idea is. How that it will never work That no one cares about doing church like that. That no one cares about a preacher who will dress casual. They don't care about a church that has relevant music. They don't care about any of this kind of stuff. They don't care about youth ministry. don't care about kids ministry. It doesn't work here. It'll never work here. You don't understand what's going on in here. You talk funny. You just need to pack up your bags and put it in the truck that came with you. And you need to go back back to Arkansas or Oklahoma or wherever in the south that you came from. Because it will never work in this town. I've lived here all my life. It'll never work. I've been around people all my life. I'm telling you, it's crazy. I'm telling you, it won't work. I, I very rarely do this, but I drop my knife and my fork at the same time. <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't lose my appetite very often. And I just looked at him. and I said, sir, with all due respect, I'm going to do what God called me to do. And if the people, if you're right, and nobody wants this, Nobody wants this message. Nobody wants this. Then here's what will happen. I'll do exactly what Jesus told the 70. If they don't accept the message and they run you out of town, knock the dust off your feet and go. I'm a lover, not a fighter. In case you had not seen all that right there. <laughs> and at the end of the day, if I leave here, I've already made up my mind, I'm going to Boca Raton, Florida. There is no downside. Either God will show up here or I will be in Florida. What's the downside? I saw that, that minister a couple weeks ago in a minister's meeting. I, I say this with all humility. <laughs> I mean, we have more kids in life kids. The ministry he said that would never work here than he has in his entire church. The day that we build that new building, I, I want a reserved seat for him on the front row. You go, that's, that's harsh. No, you can get a bag of Funyuns and a Diet Coke and watch it happen. I'm just telling you, the negative reports are going to come. The people are going to tell you you can't do it. People are going to tell you you're crazy. People are going to tell you you're inadequate. People are going to tell you you're stupid. People are going to tell you that you're not good. Maybe the idea will work, but you can never leave it. You can never do it. God can never do it through you. I'm telling you, you have to shut it down. You have to shut it out because God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. And you have to choose what report are you going to believe? The report of the Lord or are you going to report the enemy? The, port of, the report of negativity, that it can't happen, that the sky is falling, you're going to run around like, chicken little, like a chicken with your head cut off? Are you going to believe in like the little engine that could, that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I'm just telling you, it's up to you and I to decide. And many times that decision of faith is the difference between success or failure. You could think I'm crazy. We've established that fact. I'm telling you, his word is full of example after example after example of people who just trusted God you go, that's scary. Yes. That's not a real formulated plan. No. I can't put that in in dollars and cents. No. Because it's that X factor of faith. We are people of faith. We do not walk by sight. We walk by faith. It's not crazy. It's not pie in the sky. It's not stupid. But there's an agreement with our spirit. There's a confirmation of the Holy Spirit. There's presence in God's word. And we walk forward. The last thing is, just do it. The last step. I know that's really deep theology, isn't it? Just do it. Don't respond in fear. Don't be afraid. God's not the author of fear. Hear the voice of God, the faith. Confirm it in His Word and through prayer and through godly counsel. But just do what He's called you to do. Joshua went immediately and did what God asked him to do. And we see this life of Joshua being this great leader. This great victor. The one who possessed the promised land. That's what he was known for. Because he trusted God. He saw the miraculous. Because obedience always precedes the miraculous. You have to obey. Any time in Scripture Jesus ever does a miracle, he asks the impaired to do something that's beyond their ability to do. And when, he, when they do it, then the miraculous happens. To those to blind Bartimaeus, he says, see. To, to, to Jairus' daughter, he says, awaken. To, to Lazarus, he says, come forth. It's perceivably within the natural and, and inability to do. But when obedience is mixed with faith, all of a sudden the miraculous begins to happen. and Because obedience will always release the provision of God. How are we going to do what we're going to do in Germany? How are we going to do what we're going to do at the West Campus? How are we going to do what we're going to do in in Milwaukee? I don't know. But I know one who does know. And all we're responsible to do is take one step after another step after another step. And it may be scary. It may be out there. But when we do it, God begins to show up in our lives. Because obedience is what he's asking from us. I want to close this message today with just a short testimony of an individual here at Life Church who took that step and who walked in obedience and is walking it out right now. Check this out.
1: Hi, my name is David Osterhaus, and this is my life story. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home, and I was saved as a child. And while I was always involved in church, I never completely committed my, uh, my time to Christ and my time to God in serving uh, when I, I grew up and I got married, moved to Wisconsin in 2006, my wife and I, we really struggled to find a church that uh, was what we were looking for and fit uh, our personalities. Uh, just by chance, one morning, we found Life Church just by uh, the website online. Uh, we came and attended, heard Pastor Aaron talk, um, and became members and got plugged in we uh... during that time i started getting involved um, and so did my wife we i started feeling a little bit uh... like you know this may be what i was supposed to do but in in my mind and in, in what i thought my plan was for my life um, i was supposed to be in business so uh, i continued on that path and even when i felt uh... convicted to obey god that this was what i was supposed to do i was supposed to look into full-time ministry uh... i thought You know, no, that's not right. I have plans of my own. Last year, I signed up and did a missions trip uh, to Oaxaca, Mexico. And that's when the real turning point uh, happened. As Pastor Aaron always says, change of place plus a change of pace equals a change in perspective. And that new perspective for me, when I went on that missions trip, I had that moment of either I'm going to obey God or I'm not. And I decided from that point on, I need to obey God. Um, I had given my life to Christ, had been saved a long time, but was just living um, a, for me anyways, just this lukewarm Christianity to where I was giving part of what I needed to give, but not everything I needed to give. Uh, almost a year went by after that, and then I had talked, sat down and talked to Pastor Aaron and Pastor Ryan, and, Ryan, told them what was on my heart, told them that, I felt called in the vocational ministry, and that this was me obeying what God wanted me to do. And uh, they came uh, finally, like I said, a year passed, came up with a position uh, that was a good fit for me and my skills. Uh, but again, it wasn't a simple, quick decision. I had been working in uh, business and sales and had a good bit of success. I had a comfortable life. Uh, I had bought a house in Menominee Falls. I was. Uh, I had my first child already. We had just found out we were pregnant with our second. Things were going great and I thought, man, my I'm, I'm so happy right now. I'm very comfortable. It, it, the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There was no logical reason for me to completely change my career, completely change my life and and do that. But God's plan was different than my plan. I had to get into a time of prayer and discussion with my wife, and we decided the calling on my life to be in vocational ministry, to obey what God wanted me to do, was much more important than the security of just having the job and the lives that we had been living. Um, Now, we made significant sacrifices as I transitioned into ministry, and I knew I would. I took a 50% pay cut from what I was making, and then when I told them I was leaving, they offered me a promotion to stay, and it was hard for me and just the human side of me to say, no, this is what God's plan is because... Honestly, I didn't know if this was gonna work out or if this was gonna be uh, something that I could do for, for the future and for the rest of my life, but I was trusting in God and having faith in what I knew God wanted me to do and obeying what he wanted me to do. And I will tell you there is nothing more incredible and humbling than knowing, responding, and obeying God's plan for your life.